Hello and welcome to the Third Sector podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney, Senior Features and Analysis Writer. And I'm Emily Burt, Editor of Third Sector, the UK's leading publication for the voluntary and not-for-profit sector. And we're trying something new, sitting down once a week for a quick-fire conversation about the interesting or unusual goings-on in the charity world. And to get us started this week, we are talking about Giving Tuesday. We're asking, does it really resonate with people outside of the charity world? Is it even worth engaging with as we are so close now to Christmas? And how have charities used this day uh, to help support themselves, their missions and their cause areas? Well, that's all to come. Giving Tuesday. Celebrated five days after Thanksgiving, this is a global day of giving that was first launched in America in 2012 as a reaction to the consumerism of Black Friday and Cyber Monday. These days, it's a global movement with more than 70 countries participating every year. And yet, I have to say I'd never heard of it until I started working for a charity magazine. So Giving Tuesday was this week. Astonishingly, we are now in December. The end of 2020 is in sight. Yeah, woo indeed. Um, Rebecca, when did you first become aware that Giving Tuesday was a thing? I think same as you, actually, back in 2015 when I just started working at Third Sector. And I mean, admittedly, it had only been going on in the UK really since 2014. So it was still pretty new at that point. But I'm still not really clear that many people outside of the charity sector have heard of it. Um, And I actually did a test uh, yesterday on my husband um, and sort of asked, you know, do you know what Giving Tuesday is? And he sort of said, I might have heard of it. And I said, do you know when it is? And he said, oh, no, not really. Which is interesting because we're recording this on Wednesday and yesterday was, in fact, Giving Tuesday. Um, <laughs> so it just kind of really had gone over his head. Um, but yeah, I, I think so. This was brought to Giving Tuesday was brought to the UK by CAF, the Charities Aid Foundation. And you know what? You can't blame them for trying with, with you know, Facebook and Twitter like it. If something does create a certain level of public awareness in the US, it makes sense that some people have heard of it and that charities might as well try to use that to boost their fundraising. Um, So apparently it's really difficult to judge how much the day typically raises because people might donate to charity, you know, having been prompted by Giving Tuesday, but might not necessarily label their donation Giving Tuesday. But last year, the payment provider Visa estimated that an additional £14.2 million went to UK charities through its system than would usually be the case on an average Tuesday. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely like there's a, there's a definitely an element of sort of social media about it. It is a socially driven day. Um, and so, yes, hard to judge how much people are giving. But I don't get the impression that it is one of the biggest days of the fundraising calendar. And a while ago, so back in October, I sat in on a webinar about Giving Tuesday, which had some really brilliant panellists of it from charities of all shapes and sizes. And we spent an hour or so chatting about how you can get the most out of it. But what I thought was really interesting is that we ran a survey ahead of this um, through our content labs department, which found that less than a third of people who took the survey said that they were actively planning and running a campaign around Giving Tuesday. Having said that, you know, last year, an estimated 4.5 million people in Britain did something to support a good cause on Giving Tuesday, whether that was donating money, so the classic fundraising route, uh, volunteering their time instead, or just talking to friends and family to raise awareness of the good work that charities are doing. So that suggests that it could well have a value um, in the UK. Yeah. 
So uh, this year, the campaign asked people to hashtag give back 2020 in areas such as making a charitable donation, volunteering time or helping a friend or neighbour. So I spoke to uh, CAF this morning and obviously, like we've said, it's very difficult to tell and it's really, really early doors. Um, But they're saying that the early signs are positive and it looks like a lot of their partners hit their fundraising target, uh, which is fabulous. So the Big Give raised over £7.7 million yesterday, which is just under half the match available for their entire Christmas challenge. The Big Give is a match-funded Christmas uh, fundraising campaign. So it definitely sounds like it has helped to boost the amount of money raised on that day, which is always positive. Um, I mean, I wonder if this idea of kind of Give Back 2020, you know, might be more impactful this year than it would have been otherwise you know that's kind of been the theme of the John Lewis advert which we talked about on the kind of last episode of the podcast yeah. uh, that it's very much about acts of kindness giving between neighbours uh, and I think people are much more in that mindset than they would be on any ordinary year because we've had a year where we've had to think about community about kindness and about looking out for each other yeah you absolutely can't deny that we have seen some really extraordinary community mobilisation in 2020 whether we're talking about the mutual aid groups of the first lockdown to the national mobilisations around those uh, campaigns like Fair Shares campaign or Captain Tom's birthday walk or people just getting involved in fundraising efforts like the 2.6 challenge, the virtual remote marathon, doing things from their homes, from their gardens. Um, I've certainly never seen anything like this before in my lifetime. Um, So I suppose there's just this tension around whether or not people are good deeded out, having uh, participated more in their communities, if they feel potentially more motivated to be getting involved in these programmes as a result of it, or perhaps if they are already thinking about another important giving time. So... Rebecca, you are our uh, resident fundraising expert, and you did just speak as well about the Big Give 2020. I thought that was something totally different to Giving Tuesday, which again, just shows how important it is that there are these kind of clear cut campaigns going on and that these big fundraising days have their own individual identities. Um, What is your take on how close this day sits to Christmas and the Christmas campaigning season? Um, Do you think charities might be less inclined to get involved with Giving Tuesday because they are typically at this time of year massively preoccupied with their arguably biggest annual fundraising push? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's just about how close it sits to Christmas so much as the fact that in the UK, Giving Tuesday is just a random Tuesday in November. Right. No Thanksgiving link. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. In America, you have Thanksgiving where you have this big gathering and you stuff yourself with turkey and the trimmings and and pie. I feel like pie is a big deal. Pumpkin pie. Pumpkin pie. Um, And then you have the Black Friday sales. And then again on Cyber Monday. And then you've spent four days indulging yourself in various ways and you've been off work and it feels like only right to give something back you know in the uk yes black friday and cyber monday has really taken off in the last couple of years as evidenced by the absolute state of my email inbox um but i don't think like i don't think i I don't think you can underestimate the power of having stuffed yourself silly on home cooked food to make you feel like you've overindulged you know what i mean like (laughs) i i wonder if we were to introduce something similar on the day after boxing day whether that would be mm. more effective or like maybe like the 29th of December when people are starting to think about New Year's resolutions and diets and, you know, sort of feeling a bit uh, quote unquote guilty, like whether you should feel guilty for eating is another matter. But, you know, that that vibe is much more in the air about indulgence and, and atoning for it then. Maybe it would work better then. We all need to mobilise our collective guilt a bit better. Yes. I guess. 
Um, and if, if charities are planning to get involved with Giving Tuesday, I think there is definitely that question of how you do avoid that mixed messaging between kind of Giving Tuesday fundraisers, getting ready for the Christmas fundraisers and what you can do to sort of make it have its own distinct identity as a day. Mm. I mean, one thing Kath said um, about this year, sort of in the run-ups this year, was that we might see a big rise in corporate donations for Giving Tuesday. And I mean, I wonder if that might be helpful for helping to sort of set it aside from Christmas. Um, so I was in America a few years ago and we went to the New York Public Library. And I think possibly because I use the Wi-Fi there or something, they have my email address. So I get fundraising emails from them every so often. Um, and their Giving Tuesday email was really interesting because it was match funded. So kind of anything you donate will be automatically doubled by another donor. Owner, and that is the sort of thing that is perfect for corporate donations. So that could be one neat way to differentiate from your Christmas fundraising and, and get people to give now rather than thinking, oh, I'll wait until Christmas and then later forgetting about it. If the giving is time limited. Um, but at the same time, I don't know, maybe charities in the UK shouldn't be pushing their luck ahead of Christmas. I, you know, I don't know. Um, you know, but then again, you know, if you don't ask, you don't get. And that's the thing we know about fundraising. And that's been the issue this year as much as anything. It's not that people are feeling less generous. It's that the opportunities to ask have, have you know, dwindled to nothing. I think that's really interesting what you said about big corporates and that it could be, you know, an opportunity for CSR to come out and, um, you know, have those uh, big organisations that purport to care about charity and all the rest of it to put their money where their mouth is. Um for me, the best stories that I see coming out of Giving Tuesday are to do with really small charities. And my favourite Giving Tuesday campaign story uh, is from Tiny Tickers. Now, Tiny Tickers are a small charity that raise awareness of the detection, the care and the treatment of babies with serious heart conditions. It's such a good name as well, isn't it? I know. It's such a good name. And um, part of the work that they do is they train sonographers who I'm not... Uh, a medical expert but I believe sonographers um, are like heart doctors basically in layman's terms heart doctors um, to they they train them to spot congenital heart disease in unborn babies and so one of the first things that a sonographer will do is try to figure out how the baby is lying um, in the womb and where the left hand and the right hand side of the baby is so they have to do that obviously with a little sensor and the charity realised that the easiest way to train stenographers to do this um, was to place a physical baby doll on the abdomen. So they created these tiny little dolls which have a T-shirt with an anatomically correct heart in the correct position on the doll. And that helps the stenographer to see which way the heart should be pointing. So the diagram has like lines through it and they demonstrate where the scan probe should be to get all the important um, views they need to get to spot any kind of sign of defect. Anyway, last Giving Tuesday, the charity set themselves the goal of raising about £500, which would fund the purchase of 50 of these small dolls to send to sonography teams around the country. So they put out a very specific to ask to their supporters, which was to ask them to donate a doll. Each doll costs £10 and the supporter gets to choose the name of the doll. They get a little photograph. They get a digital birth certificate. And then these dolls go on to help an entire sonography team in a hospital with this training. Um, so £500 was a really tiny ask. It was peanuts. Um, but in the end, they actually raised £1,572, which was enough to fund 150 dolls that are now going to be used across UK hospitals um, to help those sonographers detect that congenital heart disease in the womb. So 
I think in a way, I'm almost talking myself in a circle here. I've started off saying I'm not sure the value of this day, but I actually do think it's quite unfair of me to suggest that just because this campaign is not necessarily bringing in millions and millions of pounds makes it not effective. Um, that was just 1,500 quid raised on that day, but the ongoing effects of it are going to be massive and, and really significant. Absolutely. And, you know, your point about small charities, often for small charities, quite a small amount of money, relatively speaking, can have a huge impact. And I mean, I wonder, and this is pure speculation, but sort of this year in particular, at a time when people are feeling a bit powerless in the face of something that is so far beyond our control, it is possible that they might respond well to being asked to contribute to a very specific campaign or a specific project where they can see a tangible, measurable effect. Like you can have an impact here. Mm. You can be part of something much bigger. Yeah, absolutely. I just think it's, it's a great campaign and there are loads of fantastic campaigns just like it out there. Um, something else I've always really enjoyed about this day, and I think you've kind of touched on earlier how we might see this more with the theme of Give Back 2020, is that a lot of the charities don't actually come at Giving Tuesday through a fundraising lens. Um, so they give in different ways. And one organisation, for example, spent Giving Tuesday writing thank you notes to their supporters. And it didn't have any kind of fundraising ask attached to it. It was just an opportunity to say hey, we really appreciate you and we know you've been around for us. And I think that's a really, really, yeah, nice gesture. Obviously, Rebecca, just as an, as an aside, you're also working on a Christmas fundraising series uh, for our website at the moment, which is looking at the ways that charities have had to switch up their approaches to, to festive fundraising. Um, and are you seeing kind of any similar interesting or unusual things coming out of those? Yeah, I mean, I think this point about acts of kindness uh, rather than asking for money is a really important one. Um, you know, I was uh, one of the considerations that for many charities and organisations this year has been that it's financially very, very tough for a lot of people at the moment. Um, so charities have to be very careful about how they're making Christmas asks, um, you know, even though many of them are in dire straits themselves. You can't say to someone who's really having to watch their pennies because, you know, they've been made redundant or their job's looking very uncertain. You know, we are, as an, as an organisation, are struggling because that's just not going to wash. Um, so, you know, you have to say, you know, here are the specific reasons our beneficiaries need supporting this year. And, you know, charities can't just reskin the normal fundraising asks they would have on a normal year. And, and you know, for some, it's actually worth considering whether they ask for money at all. Um so uh, for this series, I was chatting to the fundraising consultant, Lisa Harwood. And one thing she said is that there's a lot of evidence, and I've definitely heard this before, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that saying thank you um, can bring in money separate from a fundraising ask. So no, don't even ask for money at all. Just say thank you for your support or even just here's what we're doing. Um, so Lisa was saying one of the best campaigns she's ever done. They just said thank you. And it was the most successful fundraising campaign they'd ever had because people give when they feel appreciated and they give when they don't feel like they're just being kind of tapped for money, where they actually feel part of something and they feel they're achieving something. We've literally come full circle because we've just spent five minutes talking about giving thanks. Mm. So we're back at Thanksgiving again and Giving Tuesday. So it is all it's all just one big it's one big circle of life in the end, isn't it? <laughs> well, uh there is absolutely no denying that this year has been financially horrendous for so many charities and so many individuals. But we have seen a huge amount of compassion and generosity coming out of communities, coming out of individual donors and being shown in all of these ways, not just financially, but with time, with 
care and with raising awareness. Um, so to all charities, I guess, who participated in Giving Tuesday this year, we haven't yet seen the final total. It's still early days, but um, I think we both hope that this day of fundraising was a success for you. And uh, we're wishing, I guess, the same successes to everybody now who has a Christmas campaign or a festive campaign underway as we head for the end of this year. Absolutely. Each month on our monthly podcast, we've been putting together a coronavirus care package of good news. And we thought we'd keep that happy energy up for the weekly episodes as well. Absolutely, we would. And for my good news this week, I would just love to say a massive congratulations to Anna and Mark, a Yorkshire couple who got engaged this year after they matched on Love to Meet You, a friendship and dating agency for adults with learning disabilities and autism. So Love to Meet You was set up by national learning disability charity HFT in Leeds and Wakefield in 2007. And the platform now supports almost 400 people with both friendship services and dating services in areas that include Bradford, Sheffield and Leeds. And members of the Love to Meet You team provide tailored support and confidence building and encouragement that helps people to form meaningful friendships and relationships. So during the pandemic, Love to Meet You has transformed its packed programme of outings into a virtual calendar. And that makes the most of video calling services with everything from mindfulness sessions to karaoke, um, all the while recognising that increased risk of loneliness and isolation that might have particularly affected people who um, have learning disabilities during the coronavirus pandemic. So Anna and Mark were introduced by the dating service in 2019 and they had their first date a little over a year ago. And with the support and with the encouragement of the Love to Meet You staff, their relationship has grown both before and during the pandemic. And after the lockdown restrictions were eased, they spent a lot of time together. And in October, he proposed. Oh, yay! yay! I love a love story. It just makes me really happy. Uh, this is such a lovely story. And I I mean, I, I have a lot of time for online dating. I met my husband on online dating. You did. I did. Um, I must be a nightmare because he was like date number three. So all my friends who do online dating, I'm like, oh, yeah, this will be great. This will, you know, you'll just... You'll just meet somebody immediately. Um, but um, yeah, I think this is such a, a lovely story and, and the idea about kind of widening access and, and combating sort of feelings of loneliness and isolation during this time it's just it's lovely it's it's heartwarming it's a heartwarming story so um big yays to you Anna and Mark congratulations on your engagement um I hope that you are able to have a beautiful beautiful wedding as soon as weddings are properly allowed again in this country because they're very boring at the moment yeah fingers crossed for you guys um so yeah so my little good news story for this week is uh the news that nottingham has the highest number of charity shops per capita uh so this is a press release that we've had from uh, garden of life which is a kind of eco organization and they were sort of looking at different cities for each green factor so newcastle on tyne has the most allotments brighton and hove has the most vegan and vegetarian friendly restaurants and yeah nottingham has 50.7 charity shops per hundred thousand people which is great news in terms of uh, eco-friendly concerns because you know things are being recycled and reused but you know for charities also great news and uh, for me personally as somebody that was born in nottingham and loves a good charity shop i'm very happy about this story and i think it probably explains a lot if we're honest the sheer range, the sheer range of shops you'll be able to go to when you are next in Nottingham, walking around, looking at all the, the marvellous things that people have donated. 
Um, that sounds like your your absolute favourite kind of a place, to be honest. Yes. So big snaps to Nottingham for having a really high number of charity shops. I mean, how how many people per charity shop does that work out at? Uh, I'm no good at maths. Oh, God, don't ask me. Um, <laughs> okay. How many people per charity? I really put you on the spot there. I'm sorry. Yeah, you did. I can't do that in my head. <laughs> right. 100,000 divided by 50.7. 100 <laughs> divided by 50.7. Uh, 1,972. Great. Well, there you go. That is a new bit of trivia. Congratulations to you, Rebecca, on the maths. Yeah, uh, congratulations to my computer calculator. And I'm still not convinced that I've done that that right at all, to be honest. Um, this is... Uh... <laughs> I just, I'm just, I'm now just picturing my secondary school math teacher listening to this and glaring at me. Um, so thank you for that. You've come so far. <laughs> but do you remember when teachers used to say, "Oh, you know, you've got to learn your maths because you'll never have a calculator in your pocket all the time." And now we absolutely do have calculators in our pockets all the time. So yeah, you know, there we go. We never needed to learn any of it after all. But we're getting off topic, so I think let's wrap up for this week. I'm glad to see that Nottingham is continuing its proud condition of taking from the rich and giving to the poor. Oh, groan. <laughs> what? Robin Hood was real. Um, uh, anyway, we'll be back with another episode soon, so make sure you subscribe to this, the Third Sector podcast, on your favourite podcast app to be the first to know about it. Until we meet again, I am Emily Burt. And I'm Rebecca Cooney. And our producer is Lindsay Riley at Rethink Audio. And we will see you next week. <laughs>